Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 65th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's free on Monday but banned by Wednesday. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to another great show. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? This week, we have a show in three parts. Segment one is our top movers, where we'll look at cards that have increased the most in price over the last week. Segment two is cards to watch. These are cards James and I have our eyes on as possible gainers. And segment three is our topic of the week. We'll be talking about the ban list double take that occurred on Monday and uh, Wednesday night, um, and also maybe dip into some other rumors that are floating around on Reddit. So let's start the week off. Uh, Segment one, our top movers. The first card on our list this week is Didgeridoo from Homelands. Started off at a little under $2, dollar and change. Looking at prices around $4 to $5 right now for a pleasant little gain. Um, This is on the back of the new Minotaurs having shown it up in Amonkhet. Didgeridoo is on the reserve list, I believe. Uh, This isn't the first time this has happened. It happened back with uh, with Theros and the Minotaurs that showed up there as well. I highly doubt that this will make it didgeridoo good enough that people will care, but the price went up anyways. So if you still have some left, I'd be happy to sell them. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, selling from the $2 to $4 mark is always the death nail for real finance, um, as we've talked about many times. So um, yeah. w- wake me up when this card hits $10 and I'll start trying to dig for some. Yeah, that's fair. It's, I mean, I say that you should sell them if you have them, but it's mostly just more like, not that you need the money, just don't expect to get anything out of it, I should say. Well, those kind of boosts are good for local trading. Um, the problem with this this card is um, that I don't know if you have the demand to start trading out play sets at, at market value. Um I don't know if you can get, you know, trade four of these into a $20 card, then then you are an excellent trader, sir, and you should go ahead and do that. Yeah, plus, you know, I would expect the new market for this, um, the, you know, the casual player who wants to build some sort of tribal minotaur deck because of Amonkhet is not the type of person who's going to be slinging binders at a local store anyways. Yeah, they're hiding at their kitchen table, getting ready to beat their brother down. Yep. Uh, what do you got for us? So next on the list is one of our first movers from Amonkhet. This is Hazaret the Fervent. This is the red god that uh, attacks oh, if you... Oh, attacks or- you mean- Hazaret the pervert, right? That's this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, one of the only masterpieces I'm probably likely to acquire um, from Amonkhet, just because the word play on that card is far too ridiculous, um, given the t- terrible font choices that were made. Another French uh, delay. <laughs> yeah. 
so Hazaret, uh, the early uh, signals from standard testing, especially now that we don't have to deal with the Felidar Guardian combo, uh, is that a red deck um, or aggro-style deck that can empty its hand in a hurry and make use of a 5-4 indestructible attacker um, may actually be present, which has bumped the this mythic rare up from $5 to almost $10 for uh, a solid double-up. Um, keep in mind, we're heading into opening weekend, so... Um, if you don't already have your hands on these cards, and that's unlikely even if you pre-ordered them, um, you're going to be in the classic dilemma of trying to get out of the cards that you bought early and intelligently that spiked and then started to drop faster than you could sell out. Yep. Uh, worth noting, I think, is that the green and red ones appear to be the most competent of the uh, of the gods at this point. Um, but, I mean, with a price change like this, there's not a lot you can do with that information at this point. I mean, I think the problem here is this card's going to have be under extreme uh, supply side pressure going into this weekend and could easily fall back um, towards five or six dollars pending whatever happens at the star city open this weekend, which will certainly put the focus uh, on any new cards that show up in particularly dominant looking archetypes. Yeah. Now if, uh, if memory serves me, we'll see star city move prices a little bit, but it generally doesn't seem to have as much of an impact on this stuff in the early days as much as the Pro Tour really does later on. I guess people have finally learned that, you know, the Star City results don't really are not a completely uh, reasonable indicator of what standards actually going to look like and have been yeah, buying I mean, cards based on that. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly true. The, the other factor here is just like the supply side pressure of everybody cracking and selling at the same time over the first couple of weeks. Um can pretty easily overcome just about any spike except the you know the the top you know one two three cards in the set. So right. if this ends up being like good in one deck as a two of, that's not going to be enough for it to hold a ten dollar plus price tag. Um, Aetherworks Marvel's been a, a four of included mythic in a viable archetype at like tier one point five tier two pretty much since it was released and it's still sitting at three dollars. So that. Uh, puts a big warning flag over top of any mythic you care to go deep on in standard. Yep. I completely agree with you on that point. Uh, next up is a uh, Ristic study. We're looking at the foils from prophecy. Um, it says they jumped from 25 to 50. Really? There's one copy left on TCG player at this point. There is the commander's arsenal printing, but that hasn't seen quite as much of a gain recently. Uh, it's just the prophecy foils. These have been popular forever. So supply on these is virtually zero. Frankly, I'm surprised it's the first time we've actually talked about this. Maybe we've talked about it way back when. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't know what this is, it's an enchantment for two and a blue that says whenever an opponent casts a spell, you may draw a card unless that player pays one, which makes it a ubiquitously useful uh, blue spell, card draw spell in EDH and Commander. Yep. It's a cool card. I doubt that this uh, price change means much to anybody at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's uh, not on the reserve list, so this, you know... Could get reprinted somewhere. Right, yeah. It, well, I mean, it was in Commander's Arsenal, you know, so I don't see them putting the tax mechanic back in heavy circulation anytime soon, uh, but, the, you know, they will... They This could be a card that could show up in any Commander set anytime. I would expect the only reason they haven't is just because they don't care for the card. Well, the nice thing there is any of those cards that seem like shoe-ins for Commander but aren't likely to see play uh, get printed elsewhere, at least under current printing policies, that means they won't be foils. So that makes these foils all the more attractive. Correct. Okay. 
So next on the list, we've got Wheel of Fate, one of the several suspend cards that people have imagined might do something in combination with my pet card from the set, as foretold. Um, I have yet to see a list that I could really believe in, uh, even amongst all the ones that I'm fooling around with. Um, although I would argue that the Sultai one is uh, doing best for me thus far. Um, even still, we've seen Wheel of Fate. This is the Commander 2016 edition move from $2 to $4.50 as people choose to speculate on suspend cards as being uh, potentially very powerful in modern. Um, that's about 100% gain, but again, it's in that area where it's tough to get out and make any money. Um, I think people are best off holding all of the suspend cards for now and waiting to see what happens. Uh, yes, and this is one of those cards... Um... I think it, the supply was starting to drain. The supply was really low before the commander printing. The commander printing occurred, uh, obviously bolstered supply again to some extent, but also it probably increased the demand for the card a little bit as more people found out about it. You know, it gets cast against them. They go, oh, that card's cool. And then as we're told, I think catalyzed the drain again a little bit, but it was the, my point being is that before the commander 2016 printing and before as foretold, the supply was very low and it had been decreasing. So I think we're basically just picking up on that storyline from a six or eight months ago at this point. Yeah. And the last time we saw wheel of fate move, it was the uh, time spiral edition uh, and the commander edition hadn't really been touched at all, but the wheel, the time spiral edition has drained down to just a handful of copies on TCG. So it makes perfect sense that the next target is the most next, most recent printing. Yep. And there's still just the two. Uh, next up is storm seeker. This is the, uh, the legend's, copy specifically um jumped from two to six this is just continued activity by the uh old 93 94 speculators players whatever um this is not on the reserve list but you know that doesn't really matter that much for these types of cards uh i don't know not nothing too interesting here i guess yeah, I mean, relatively iconic art if you played back in the day. Like, all of us had this in a binder at some point, and we're trying to figure out how to make it do something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is just one of these these cards where <clears throat> if you pick up a, a stack of them from somewhere before they go through a couple of different price spike plateaus, then later down the road you can probably buy list them, say, two, three, four years out um, for a tidy little profit. Um, I'm not really messing around in this space too much, but... Uh, you know, talk to our boy Sig over at QS. He's all over this stuff. Yeah, I suppose on all of these old school 9394 targets, there's the argument to be made that if you traffic in those circles frequently, if you play that format with people, that it might be worth going in on a lot of this stuff before it spikes and just having it in your binder to trade because people in that in that community may want to trade for these cards. Um, so you could do pretty well that way. If you know a bunch of guys that are playing this, but for those of us not actively engaged in that group, uh, I don't think that these are really worthwhile endeavors. Yeah. There's better, more, more exciting, low hanging fruit in the greater picture, but um, this will not be the last of these kind of random uh, uncommons from old sets that makes a move this year. Yeah. Get one or two a week. Uh, okay. What's next? So the big winner so far in Amonkhet is Glorybringer, a card that our, your, our friend Jim Casale um, on uh, 
the other podcast that you're on um, was making noise about right up front and many pros were identifying this card early as being powerful. Um, to my eye, it looked like a flying flame tongue Kavu and that was enough to convince me that it was going to be good and standard. Um, but I was thinking like, why bother? Like it's going to be, it's at $2, I think $2.50 when I first looked at it and I figured, you know, it's going to hit 4 or $5, like who cares? Um, for this thing to be up over $10 right now means it's an immediate sell. Like if, if you have these incoming on pre-order, you should already be posting them for sale and planning to flip them and reship them like same day because the pressure on this card as a rare, as opposed to a mythic is going to be immense to come back down into the like five to $6 range, um, over the course of the next few weeks. And the only thing that changes that is if it is a ubiquitous multi archetype four of, and I'm... I just don't see it. I think I think it's going to be a four of in one archetype, and it's not clear that archetype will be the best archetype. Um, there are plenty of solutions to this card, um, and uh, I, I just think it's going to be a playable standard rare <clears throat> that does well but doesn't dominate the entire format. And you know, unless you're at that smuggler's copter type level, it's going to be very tough to hold over ten bucks. So I think it's a sell. Yeah, 100% agree on the sell. This was interesting, uh, you know, a week and a half ago. Um, but yeah, at this point, it's it's too late to do much about it. Get, get rid of them, sell them if you got them, and uh, revisit it after the first two weeks. Because even if it sees play, it is likely to drop in price. If this was a mythic, then you would still have my attention, because it could potentially hit 20. It could be the Torrential Gear Hulk of the set or whatever. But even... Oh, yeah. Even Torrential Gearhulk and, and uh, Verdant Gearhulk, um, or Verderous Gearhulk, have had trouble holding price points uh, much above 10 for various points of their career so far. So uh, it doesn't give me much confidence in a rare. Yeah, I mean, just uh, compare it to Walking Blister, right? Like, to me, that you know, that's another rare from a large set. And with all of the play that it was seeing, it's still, it's like 10, 11 bucks, so... Yeah, and, and that's a card that's playable back to vintage. So yeah, yeah, every form. Whereas Glorybringer is standard and standard only. Yep. Uh, okay, so next up is the last card for the week: Protean Hulk from. Uh, oh, this is I. That's Dissension. Um, <clears throat> Dissension uh, started the week at around four dollars. Um, jumped up to. Uh, it shouldn't be. Oh, it's twenty five, not fifty. To my stupid keyboard, screw this up. That's supposed to be jumped <laughs> there up you to go, about twenty five. Yeah, it was really throwing me for a loop. Um, <clears throat> for a pretty healthy gain, uh, it was unbanned in EDH. Um, the card was previously banned in EDH because you could ca- put get this card into play immediately, sack it, and then search out a instant kill combo with it. Um. If you, uh, I know there's a five color version and I'm sure there's more efficient ones out there. Um, but that's what it did. And, uh, it has been released. Uh, and of course, as with all cards in EDH, they immediately skyrocket when they're unbanned because people rush to go try them. We saw it happen with Kukosho, uh, forever ago as well. Uh, I would be selling them if you have them. Uh, that's what I've been doing. I've been trying to selling them as fast as I can. I fully suspect that this card will land higher than $4. Um, it will probably live in the 9 to $15 range, depending on how good it is in Commander. Um, but getting rid of them during the excitement is uh, is ideal. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually going to be, you know, a, a virtual staple in green commander decks. So I don't think there's any rush to get out of them because I really don't see them reprinting this anytime soon. Um, although you could make the argument that maybe it could show up in Iconic Masters. I mean, it's not a super iconic card, but the entire set can't all be icons. Um, right. And it could also get a reprint in a commander series now that it's been unbanned. Um, that could easily happen. So. Yep. You know, there's there's definitely some risk to holding a card like this. Uh, how many? I, I I just had a couple sitting around just randomly in in binders. Um, how many were you sitting on? Uh, I think I had eighteen. Ooh, that's a nice because, number. Because I had them back when this was suddenly expected to be a modern deck, and I scooped them all up for four dollars. At that time, they didn't really move enough. So I didn't do, you know, they just sat there and I actually still had them all listed and I didn't, I had no idea. And then suddenly I got, I got an email and I look at my phone and it says I sold a playset set of protein hulks for $60. I was like, what? So I logged into my TCG player account and found them and, uh, d- reduced the, the quantity down the two and up the price. And I, I was selling them at 25. Uh, I got a couple of them at that price They're dwindling at the, uh, at this point, but, um, yeah, it, it went, worked out pretty well. Um, Very nice. I do think I do think you're right it will be a fairly big staple in commander but I also see them having no problem reprinting this in a commander type set even really like you said a conspiracy or something like that like they're not eager to put this in standard um but you know the card is is reasonably reasonably fair uh if you don't have an infinite combo with it which a precon's not going to I think my copies were sitting around in an old casual living death deck um, where it did all sorts of work. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, I think what's going to happen here is uh, a bunch of copies are going to come out of the woodwork because they've been sitting as kind of like bulk rares in people's binders um, with not much purpose. Uh, those will flow into the marketplace and they will relatively quickly get snapped up by EDH players. And here's where one of the effects that I've been tracking lately that I think is uh, rather important uh, in terms of why EDH specs are are so much more interesting than they used to be, um, is that uh, a good EDH card that is not specific to one uh, particular commander um, uh, is very unlikely to ever come back into the market because EDH players tend to hold and hoard multiple decks at a time. And they, the best cards in those decks never really get released back into the market unless they sell the, decide to sell the entire deck, which is a relatively rare event, as compared to something like Standard or Modern, where Standard, there's all sorts of turnover in what decks you need to be playing. Um, and Modern, to a certain extent, that's true as well. Um, uh, the thing about, you know, a really great EDH card is that, um, you know, once they all go uh, into the hands of the players, it, it becomes increasingly hard for... Uh, them to get pulled back in by the dealers um, through buy listing because it's just not EDH players aren't really you know breaking up their decks into buy lists very often. I completely uh, agree with what you're saying in the in the context that commander cards EDH cards are much less liquid than most other format cards, um, and I am a living testament to that. I have an EDH binder that's socked full of odds and ends that I don't play. And some of those cards have, a lot of those cards have spiked in price and I didn't bother to sell them because they're my one copy and I'm holding them and that's where they're going to live. Um, so people acquire these and they just stash them and then they just forget about it. You know, that's my commander binder. I don't touch it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's in general, these are going to get bought and then they're not really going to move too much. Okay. So that leads me into, 
uh, my first pick this week under cards to watch, um, following along with those same principles. Um, I've been going pretty deep on Atraxa Praetor's voice. Um, this is the very uber popular commander released in the Commander 2016 uh, sets just last fall. Um, but the thing is about uh, those sets and about Atraxa is that uh, Commander 2016 was a very popular product that virtually sold out at a lot of retailers and was not restocked um, this spring as people suspected it might be. So basically your local LGS can't get access to any more Commander 2016. Um, that means that there is literally no fresh supply of Atraxas anywhere in the market. Um, Atraxa decks are the most po- popular and expensive deck. Uh, you know, they sell for in the 60 to $80 range. I suspect they'll end up over $100. Um, and Atraxa is the entire reason to be purchasing that deck in the first place because she is um, one of the most popular command- new commanders in a long time. Uh, it's not a card they're likely to reprint anytime soon. You're certainly not going to see it in Commander 2017 because it's got a, a, a tribal theme that is not four color, so you're not going to see Atraxa there. She's not going to get reprinted in any of the standard sets, obviously. she There are no supplemental sets on the horizon that look like she could get reprinted. Travis and I have talked about her possibly showing up as a judge foil at some point, but the thing is that the judge foils are not going to be cheaper than the original foils, um, and there won't be that many of them anyway. And in keeping with the logic we were just explaining... Um, if you own Atraxa, if you bought that deck, you're certainly not going to sell the, the general. I mean, you need the general. Um, the only real risk to Atraxa is that there are, are the oversized versions of the cards that could uh, act as a stand-in if the price of the original got too high. But given that there was you know, relatively modest supply out there in the marketplace for $15 or so, I bought a whole bunch of copies at 14 from an eBay seller that had like 20 um, and then bought another 20 from a couple of different vendors. Um, and I feel very confident that that $15 per copy is going to turn into 30 within a year or two. Uh, yeah, that's a, a, a pretty good target, I think. Um, especially considering how, how realistically, how little of these are out there at the moment, um, and how unlikely we are to see too many show up. Uh, you know, we saw Kali of the Vast climb uh, pretty significantly and i think she has less overall appeal uh than attracts a will uh, across the board um, a little less powerful so i think uh, yeah if you can score these in the you know 10 the 15 dollar range they'll seem like uh pretty safe pretty safe holds and even in the face of a judge promo you still have players who don't want foils or don't want to fork out the 40 or 50 dollars for those well, keep in mind, the, the commanders are all foil by default now. So Atraxa, mm-hmm. the Atraxas are foil. Um, so the Judge foil I would be would be an alternate alternate foil, but it's even more rare than the original. So if anything, it would be more expensive. Um, you know, the supply on eBay is relatively dry. The supply on TCG Player under twenty dollars is is drying up. There's maybe ten, fifteen, twenty copies total under twenty, and then you know from the twenty to thirty dollar range, there's another you know double handful or so. Very, very low inventory overall. And it's also one of the the, the EDH cards that even in Europe um, is not much cheaper. You know, you can save a dollar or two, maybe a copy, but once you factor in shipping, it wouldn't really be worth it, um, which means we can't really leverage European arbitrage to restock uh, the binders over on this side of the Atlantic because um, there probably wasn't that much Commander 2016 distributed in Europe because it, it wasn't released in all of the localized languages. There's a Japanese version of the deck that I picked up uh, on eBay a little while back, but um, they didn't print the Commander. They don't print the Commander products in all of the languages that they do for regular sets. Yeah, that is. I did notice that too. That she was 
less available over there. Um, that's an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic. Yeah. So what's your uh, first pick this week? Uh, my first pick of the week is Channeler Initiate. This is the two mana three, four that puts three minus one, minus one counters on a creature you control when it comes to the play, although you are very likely targeting itself. And you can tap, remove a counter, add a mana of any color. So this is this set's sort of Sylvan Karyatid slash Rattleclaw Mystic. Um, Sylvan Karyatid was like a $12 card at one point. Rattleclaw Mystic never really pulled itself above two and change. Uh, where will Channeler Initiate land? Uh, that is a good question. I really don't know. Uh, or I should say that I don't have any compelling evidence that will go one way or the other. Um, what I do know is that with the security combo band, uh, Mardu vehicles, people are saying actually gets worse. Um, it won't be as well positioned against a lot of other strategies. Uh, you have some really interesting stuff floating around in the format, stuff like Glory Bringer that you would love to be able to ramp into um, or Gideon. Um, and having a Mana Dork that can become a, a reasonable beater um, in the mid and late game is, is really handy. Um, you know, I don't know. You generally probably don't have to, don't really aren't needing your Mana Producer to tap for Mana more than three times. Plus, there's plenty of other ways to generate those minus one, minus one counters if you need them. So the cheapest copies that I saw coming into this recording were about $2. That's still a little high for me. Once they get below $150, um, I'm interested in picking copies up. And if they hit a dollar, I will buy a hundred of them. Um, because all you need is for people to realize that this is good and for the price. And the price on these will hit five, six, even really realistically, $10 is not that crazy because Monodorks, it's like, oh, if you're playing green, you can play this card and there could, and if you, this card makes every color mana. So it's not even like it's a green red card. It's just a green card that can go in any stripe of green, uh, green deck. Um, so I, I like the, I like the possibilities on this, even though I'm not guaranteeing you that it will become a standard staple. Yeah. I would compare this to things like, uh, it's a slightly worse, I think overall Sylvan Karyatid because it doesn't uh, have the hex proof. Um, but it might be more comparable to something like Tireless Tracker out of Shadows over Innistrad, which was also a spring set rare that is now sitting at $6 a year later, um, that has seen plenty of standard play and has seen occasional play as a one or a two of in modern. Um, if Channel Initiate was uh, able to pull off a similar play pattern, then you know it could hit that same kind of price point, the 5 to $6 range, and then your dollar to $2 copies might be uh, a, certainly a compelling uh, way to go, especially if you've got a way to out them, say, to a buy list or something, if you're willing to suck up a little less margin. Yep. Yep. Uh, so what have you got next for us? Well, if you believe that Atraxa is going to stay popular in Commander, then you want to start looking at some cards that pair well with her. One of the cards I think we talked about a while back uh, is Lux Cannon. Um, specifically, I'm looking at the foils. This is the artifact for four that taps to put a charge counter on and taps to remove three charge counters to destroy any permanent. Um, destroying any permanent is a super useful ability in Commander, and Atraxa gives you a proliferate every turn which means you're doubling up on the number of counters this thing gets and good attracts the decks that are leveraging all of that are actually doing it uh, you know adding counters once twice three times per turn um, the foils are you know virtually uh, impossible to find uh, the 
there's only say a triple handful of them left on TCG and the price range has that really steep curve between the first couple listings to the last couple somewhere between 10 and $20. So I think if you can get in mopping up some of these copies in the 10 to $11 range um, within a couple of, you know, a couple of years or so at the outside and it could be sooner um, the attracts of players will probably push this up over $20 permanently and uh, your money will be well spent. Sure. This is another solid long-term EDH spec. I think these are great choices where you can find them. Um, a really cool card. Didn't quite get there in standard, but definitely going to be popular in a track. So I'm sure it's played in every single deck. Uh, so a good choice, I believe. And, and also not the kind of thing you're going to see reprinted anytime soon. Um, you, you can see it show up uh, in a Commander series deck. Um, if there was a charge counter theme going on with the commander in question, um, but again, they wouldn't be foil. Yep. So pretty solid. Those foil EDH cards, man. All right. So tell me about demon of dark schemes. Yeah. So this is, uh, if you thought channeler initiate was a long shot, well, let me introduce you to demon of dark schemes. This is a card that, the it spiked a long time ago, uh, in the Japanese market. People got really excited for it over there. It's like the six mana demon that, kind of does a pyroclasm when it comes into play. Um, then you get energy when creatures die, and then you can use that energy to reanimate creatures. And so it does some pretty interesting things. Um, this is just kind of me browsing through uh, what the Kaladesh and Aetherable Mythics are, standard mythics, um, to see kind of what's out there that might have not been good with Sahili floating around, but might be good now. Uh, so with that combo broken up, really opens the door for a lot of other creatures to come into play. And this will do a pretty good job of uh, really screwing a lot of them up um, and also giving you the ability to reanimate down the road. I do think it's interesting that it works well with the new Liliana as well because both of them want to reanimate creatures. Uh, so it kind of gives you some redundancy. Like he's good to reanimate with Liliana and he also reanimates creatures. So there's some redundancy of strategy there. Um but really what uh, what's appealing to me about this card is it's it's a powerful mythic um, that's seen very little play, but people expected it to be powerful a while ago, and it's 50 cents. So you can pick them up for dirt cheap uh, as far as mythics go, and if this goes anywhere, you get a humongous return on your investment, and if you don't, who cares? You paid 50 cents a piece. Yeah, I mean, one of the hotter decks in Frontier and uh, our local scene is a Jund Brew that I posted to Twitter last night that uses one copy of this guy. And I think that's really the issue is that in the absence of excellent mana acceleration, um, the what are the odds you're going to run the four of, of this card that's really going to make it pop? Um, even if it shows up in a deck as a four of, it probably is only in that deck. And again, we're talking about, you know, mythics that have had have struggled to break the three to four dollar mark. Um, even when they're played as a four of in standard recently 50 cents is you know <laughs> uh, about as low as a mythic can get i mean it def- redefines what bulk uh, can be for a mythic really um but i i think that personally i would steer clear of this just because i believe that it's going to see some play but is going to have re- a lot of trouble getting to the point where you know what do you want this to hit uh, on buy list before you're you're happy to be in at 50 yeah i mean i completely agree it's it is uh, the definition of a long shot. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, if they hit 250 and you can sell play sets for 10 on TCG, doesn't seem like the worst. You know, you paid two bucks to get in, you get out at 10. 
sure. know, eight after after fees type of thing. So you know, it's not. It, it, I agree with you that the risk is much higher on this than most of the cards I bring up. But the reason I like that is because the reward is very high if things go well. Yeah, I mean, Glorybringer will not be the last card to pop as a result of Felidar Guardian being banned. So, I mean, going through these thought experiments, even if you don't agree with, you know, a specific pick that we're discussing, you definitely want to be thinking through um, and and testing, especially, because testing is what tells the real story. Um, yeah. The decks that are going on in standard so that you can be, you know, not have your have a bunch of things in your cart ready to go when something splashes on camera at the Star City that looks like it's going to be a fixture in the format. Yep, that is a, a good way to do it, and uh, hope that they actually send it to you. <laughs> uh, on that, it just as a side note, uh, if you are doing that type of thing, look for more um, reputable vendors. Star City is very good about it. Channel Fireball shouldn't give you much of a problem. A couple of the other large ones, uh, but if you're buying cards that are spiking on TCG Player, do not uh, do not expect to actually get it shipped. Um. Okay, so, oh, you have one left for us, don't you? Why don't you give us your last pick this week? Yeah, so the other thing that is worth pointing out is that True Name Nemesis has spiked up into the mid-30s on the basis of uh, Divine, Sensei's Divining Top being banned in Legacy, which means Miracles is is neutered uh, as the top deck in the format for going on, you know, four or five years. And I think this is actually a really good ban um, because... The format is not stale. There's a lot of play in the format, but this really um, serves to shake it up for the people that care about a vibrant format. This is going to help maneuver Legacy into that position. Um, And it's been commonly understood that Sultai decks uh, and kind of grindy uh, Maverick style decks, you know, decks with Stoneforge Mystic, they're going to get swords and putting them on True Name Nemesis. This kind of thing may be a more viable strategy outside of Miracles. Um, uh, you know, Miracles had a decent shot at countering True Name Nemesis or it needed to, or terminusing uh, Nemesis away. But without the, you know that deck in the format specifically, there are much fewer, many fewer opportunities to deal with this uh, very difficult to answer uh, threat. And so we've seen True Name Nemesis pop. Now, what you may not have noticed is that you can still buy Mind Seize, the commander deck from 2013 that True Name was printed in, in the 30 to five, $35 to $40 range on eBay. And that basically means that if you need the True Name, you get it, um, you, you're buying it at retail and you're getting 99 commander cards for free. Um, and if you don't need the True Name, then you can get a free commander deck and flip the, the True Name to get your money back. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty effective way to go about increasing the size of your collection uh, for essentially $0. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, these kinds of opportunities is really what you want to be looking for. If you know you're the kind of player that doesn't want to grind your way to the Pro Tour, then go ahead and play fun decks. Go, you know, be, accept that you're going to lose more games at your FNM and and just, you know, build up a, a crazy random casual collection of of weird casual decks that you can play in various formats and you will spend way less money on magic and not have to worry so much about uh what happens in the the world of competitive bannings Mm, i think that's uh sage advice okay uh so the topic of the week uh pretty interesting turn of events here certainly wizards uh doing some trailblazing we got the boundless update for amoncat on monday uh, we did not see anything change in standard. Everyone was uh, extraordinarily surprised. Um, almost everyone expected 
uh, felt our guardian to be banned. We didn't even know if it was going to be, or should I say, not everyone liked the idea of felt our guardian getting banned, but even the people who didn't want it banned kind of expected it would come. Um, and when it didn't, people were kind of shocked. There was a lot of frustration from pros and uh, FNM players alike. And then Wednesday, Wednesday evening, uh, Aaron Forsythe posts a addendum to the update and says, oh, by the way, we've decided the ban fell out our guardian. <laughs> uh, the, the reasoning they gave was basically boiled down to we looked at the moto results for 24 hours where Amonkhet was legal online and the decks hadn't changed much. So clearly fell out our guardian is still too good and Amonkhet didn't do enough to answer it. Now... Anyone who's been paying attention to Wizards will immediately realize that that excuse is utter garbage because there's no way that a single day's worth of moto results is enough to change their opinion. Not when they would tank for so long on a decision like this with so much data. Um, To claim that it was one day of moto data is absolutely ridiculous. Clearly, everyone being angry about it online inspired them to action and they didn't want to say everyone yelled so we changed it. Uh, so they kind of backpedal, but this is just such an odd turn of events. Really hard to imagine Wizards having done it worse. Although I suppose the outcome, eventual outcome, fell at our guardian being banned is is best for most players. Uh, I'm sure you have some opinions on this, James. Yeah, I think you've summarized it well, and I think I think that there's no debate that this is what's best for standard. Um, whether or not it was true that Felidar Guardian was going to dominate the coming standard, I, I think they couldn't take the risk. They look more incompetent if they skip the banning for the second or third opportunity. Because keep in mind that they they claim that they missed the Felidar Guardian Sahili Rai combo completely in their own testing, which just seems bizarre to me. But okay, let's just accept that. Um, but they didn't ban it out the gate because they wanted to see what would actually happen with the format. Turns out it's too good for the format. They didn't ban it five weeks out from Pro Tour A The Revolt. Um, and they didn't ban it again when they had the opportunity uh, leading into Amonkhet. And then a couple days later, they changed their mind and said, no, no, we're going to do it after all. If this was the only thing, weird thing like this that had happened in the last you know year or so, then, then you know, so be it. Uh, I don't think that... Uh, we need to worry about having, you know, bannings issued willy-nilly. Like, I think the concept that now players won't play standard because anything could be banned at any time is not really true. Because it's pretty clear this was a specific set of circumstances with an especially egregious combo that they missed and that isn't really, uh, doesn't fit well into the paradigm that they want to be, uh, for, for what standard is supposed to be about. Um, and, and so it doesn't mean that just because your card is good, it's at risk of being banned. Um, but it, it does set weird precedents for the future because now the banned and restricted list announcements, which used to be four times a year and were relatively uneventful, and now we're pumped up to eight times a year, now may as well be any time of the year. Um, mm-hmm. because the next time something like this happens, and it could happen because, the uh, future future league was being tested on the the basis of one and a half year rotations for standard for quite some time leading into the series of sets we're experiencing this year. Um, and that means that there are more interactions that were untested between some of the older sets that are currently legal. And for instance, hour of devastation. I mean, there could be some new problem in our devastation that we haven't seen yet. Um, and it's just, it's a really bad place to be where, in January, they had to ban three cards. They banned Reflector Mage, Emrakul the Promised End, and Smuggler's Copter, all of which were clearly uh, 
uh, overpowered in in the format. Um, they were three very different cards. They were from two different archetypes, um, uh, or if not three different archetypes or more, depending on, you know, copper was pretty much in everything. Um, and I think you can make arguments that both Gideon and Heart of Kirin were potentially uh, mistakes that could have been addressed in this way. Um, and so they're walking this really fine line now for Standard. And I think the general overall consensus is that uh, Standard is not well managed. Um, at present, that the decisions made over the course of the last 18 months or so internally have led to some, you know, real feel bad moments that have been chaining together. And it's not the death of magic or anything, but it means that, um, you know, players are going to be more reluctant to get in on standard overall, just because of the uncertainty that surrounds the entire format, not any one of these decisions, but the compilation of all of them together. Um, And if the I think there's an outside chance that at some point in the near future, they may also swing back to the 18 month thing because, you know, that was, uh, there was pushback on that, but an argument can be made that some of these problems would, would go, that you would have to ban less overall if your standard was shorter. So there's going to be some pressures, um, and conflicts internal to their management, uh, decision-making that may lead them back to that place. Um, all of which just says to me, you know, standard is a is a is a kind of sketchy format um, from a player stability perspective, and pushes them deeper into the arms of Modern or Legacy or EDH or Frontier or whatever it is that their local shop uh, and community is most interested in. Uh, it's really funny that you mentioned them turning it back to an eighteen month because uh, this kind of ties into one of the other things we're going to talk about is that. We got a bit of information today that popped up on Reddit that said uh, Wizards was sending out a survey and included this little blurb about, uh, you know, basically core sets and then asking for what they thought players without a cool name for a core set would be. Um, it was like Prime and Eternal or something like that, a couple names. Uh, but yeah, and it, that was like, wait, and they were all with 2019 on them. Um so it would seem that Wizards is thinking about moving back towards the uh, the core set model, which would then move us away from the two block, two sets per block model, which then moves us away from the 18 month model. So like it looks like by 2019, we could have the exact same magic cycle format, what have you, that we did for most of modern magic. The um, you know, large fall set, small set, small set, core set in the summer, and then rotate in the fall. Uh so all of this could have been uh, essentially, for the long and short of it, back to uh back to what it was. Or um I actually think it's more likely that we're not uh, retreating to a three set block, I think we're going to two sets plus a core set. Um, because I think the purpose of the core set is not to uh, alleviate the uh, resource constraints of having to manage two blocks. Um, I think it's about them still struggling to find the supplemental products that will boost revenues in the absence of an increased player base. Um, I think everything that's been going on over the last couple of years um, has really been about them trying to figure out how to advance, uh, you know, the revenues and profits uh, to their corporate overlords at Hasbro um, with the knowledge that they have pretty much hit a plateau in terms of overall player growth globally. 
Um, and I think when they're considering, you know, the three names they were actually considering, according to this email, which has not been confirmed to be real yet, I should point that out. Um, but right. assuming that it is, um, they were looking at Prime 2019, Core 2019, or Essential 2019, all of which are terrible. Um, and I'm continuously yeah, disappointed <laughs> by their, their marketing and design departments, like lack of imagination and uh, and creativity. Um, but all of that put aside, I, I don't care one way or the other if there's an extra product. I mean, I think many of us that are, you know, full-grown adults with full-time jobs and, and are, you know, involved in this stuff uh, as a hobby, um, you know, we we kind of pick and choose what we want to be involved in and how much we want to buy of stuff and, and whether we want to buy boxes or buy just singles we need or whatever. Um, but the, you know, the real question is for the core LGS audience, how much can they milk uh, that audience by enticing them uh, by making the cards in the supplemental products necessary for standard. Like that's really what reintroducing the core set does, right? If they're putting core back, you have to assume that that is going to be cards for uh, that are standard legal, which will also then be modern legal. And it uh, serves to shake up the format a little bit more. Like maybe that's part of what they're thinking is that more sets for standard means standard changes more often. And we have fewer of these problems um, and we can print more solutions because if we have a broader card pool that can afford to have more niche cards printed, um, who knows? But I mean, somebody mentioned on Twitter that they, they felt like it was a rudderless ship. And I think that's an excellent analogy. The, that is a fair way to describe it, I would say. Uh, rudderless ship indeed. I mean, I guess how, moving to the five set a year um, rotation would sort of push does play into that idea that um that they are trying to wring more money out of each player right which we've we've debated you know we've we've covered a lot it shows up in a lot of their actions the expeditions are uh are definitely um are, are trying to grab more cash from players uh and a fifth set would possibly do that but who knows clearly there's a lot going on um you know, let's uh, let, you know what. Let's take a minute and um, sort of push back to act or to standard for a moment. So, with this Felidar ban, uh, what do you see happening in standard? Do you have any inclinations for what we're going to see get better, get worse? I mean, you probably would have covered it a little bit more in uh, in our pick of the week section. Have you had anything specific you loved, but you know, what is your, your read on this? I mean, I'm gun shy on standard for speculation in general, because so many cards that, that even cards that have in fact been successful in the format have not been able to hold, you know, mega price tags. It's kind of, you know, the, the top three to five cards really um, are the only ones with surprising price tags. And you have to pick those out pretty early and you have to make sure that you, you know, if you bought equivalent amounts of three cards and one of them ends up being in the top five and the other two don't, you're definitely losing money. Um, and there's just so much, so many better places to be putting our cash right now for speculation purposes that standard has me largely scared off. However, I've been testing the format. Um, green black decks look excellent. Um, they've basically lost nothing and gained all sorts of fun little tools. Um, and the one of the comments that uh, I, I saw somewhere um, this week was about how not having to uh, hold your mana up to interact with the combo on you know turn four or turn six um, vis a vis you know Sahili into Felidar or Sahili and Felidar on the same turn. Um, 
means that you can tap out for mid-range threats more effectively. Um, so you need to start looking at these like five, six, seven cost cards um, that have a strong impact on the board but wouldn't have interacted with the combo uh, and consider uh, what their value is. I mean, part of that is part of this is why Glorybringer is so expensive right now because um, Glorybringer can bear down on a Gideon uh, pretty easily and kill the token that he made uh, in the process if you choose to exert it. That's a pretty nice two for one. Um, and, you know, if people are going to be experimenting with a bunch of the Planeswalkers like Nisa and uh, Liliana, um, then uh, I think that there's all sorts of opportunities in that kind of Jund or Abzan mid-range style of grindy play. Um, you know, I, I suspect that we're going to see a lot of decks uh, that are leveraging Delirium style mechanics, and which work very well with cycling. Um, I've also seen some interesting blue-black cycling decks, like uh, Ryan Overturf had a, a pretty cool blue-black deck built around Drakehaven and a, just a crap pile of, of cyclers. Um, with some uh, sweepers and uh, a whole bunch of kill spells uh, and some counter spells. Uh, and I, I suspect that you know people that didn't play in the Astral Slide, Lightning Rift style era are not going to fully wrap their heads around right away just how powerful those kind of cycling build-arounds can be. Um, but it's possible that Drakehaven uh, could be a 5 or $6 rare if it really hits. I think Drakehaven... You know, I didn't put it on our list this week because the price isn't really low enough to do anything about it. But I think Drakehaven may be the breakout card of the set. Uh, it's, certainly, it's certainly the rare that, that says to me, um, I will live in at least one deck as a four of. The only question now is, is my deck good enough? Um, and and if it is, you know, are, are people going to be able to pick up copies this weekend during release at $1.50 and flip them out at five or six? Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's part of why I like Channeler Initiate, too, is that card would have been mediocre against Sikili Rai because it's ramping you into fours, fives, and sixes, which are kind of unplayable against the combo. Um, but now that that's gone, you can play your fives and six drops that without losing about worrying the game on the spot uh, for having cast it. So you're, you're completely right that it does really open up so much room that wasn't there before. Uh, yeah, green black is certainly more interesting, although whining constrictor is more of a liability today than it was um, the last time that deck was good. Uh, I think we could see green red with some of the gods. Um, really, I'm going to be trying to take my clues from the pros. Um, I'm going to be seeing what shows up at star city, seeing if there are threads of deck ideas that are appearing there. If you can lock in on maybe, you know, the deck might be bad, but maybe this guy figured out that this one card is good. Um, like Drake Aven or the cycling strategy, you know, if there's three or four versions of cycling floating around at star city, it's like, well, uh, clearly this is an idea and we don't know which one's good yet, but we know that cycling's good, which means we know that like Drake Haven's good or the, the black one that drains is good. Um, so I think that's where the, the best bet for action is the flip side of this. And you touched on this too, is that walking ballista is extremely highly played in standard and it's still only like $11. So really there are no standard cards. I'm willing to pay more than essentially a dollar for, um, you know, I'll pay a dollar 50 maybe for channel or initiates, but essentially the buying has to be so low for me to even consider standard cards because it's so hard for them to go anywhere that, you know, the, the silver lining of those types of things is that they'll generally sell very well. And you can dump play sets really quickly. Um, there's definitely the highest throughput on TCG with those types of goods. Uh, but the the re the reward is both not as rich as you would hope and also much more tenuous. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's some cards that I have my eye out on for modern specifically. Um, uh, the Digging for Dollars article for Amonkhet will launch later tonight or tomorrow. This is uh, Thursday night that we're recording. So you'll probably see it on Friday morning if you're already uh, in bed by the time we're done here. Uh, Harsh Mentor, of course, was super hyped up front and is now in free fall. Um, some pros have been saying it maybe doesn't make it in modern except at a sideboards against some decks where it's especially good like it's very punishing against affinity very punishing against lantern control um there are certain decks that rely heavily on in play activations that can't really handle the card um uh, but it may not be a main deck replacement in burn which is really what it needs to be um to justify uh sitting alongside eidolon of the great Revel. that deck is pretty tightly constructed so i i have my doubts about whether it can make it there um, I mean, it's if it's not doing something specific, uh, like punishing Fetchland activations or Arcbound Ravager or Lantern activations, then it's just sitting there as a 2-2 two, two for 2, which is absolutely not where you want to be in modern. Um, it can't block Tarmogoyfs or Death Shadows profitably, so that's kind of problematic. Um, and uh, it also doesn't do immediate automatic damage, right? Like it's conditional damage. Um, and it's kind of nice if you've got this and an Eidolon out, because then they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. But <laughs> but those are pretty specific scenarios. Um, Glorious End as the, you know, the mythic that ends the turn um, and then you lose the game uh, strikes me as the kind of build around card that's going to get there some point, but probably not right away. Currently, they're $3, foils are 7 I think if the target you target the buy price in the summer at like $2 for the regular ones, maybe even less, and $4 for the foils. Um, then, you know, that's probably worth stocking away for a while. Bone Picker, uh, you know, the, as an uncommon foil, um, I'm hoping that they don't figure it out in modern right away and the foils come down, uh, as an uncommon into some reasonable range, at which point you probably pick them up because eventually they will figure it out. Um, yeah. uh, the card is basically an alternate Delver and having a the Grixis deck or something that has eight Delvers plus thing in the ice or something and uh a bunch of ins- deadly instants and sor- and sorceries is probably a fine place to be at some point um shadow of the grave it's a two mana instant if it was a sorcery i wouldn't be that excited but given that it's an instant and re- can return to your hand all cards that were either cycled or discarded uh means that it has wide open synergies in the long term that will eventually be exploited Oh, I, so I think Shadow of the Grave is really funny. Uh, and I, I doubt I'd spec on that, but I'd spec on whatever it turns on. But that reminds me that uh, one of my friends pointed out that Drakehaven combos with way more cards than you think it does. For instance, it works with Nahiri the Harbinger. So Nahiri is draw two, pitch two, pay two, get two two twos. <laughs> like the fact that that works like that is just so much better than it seems on first blush with cycling. Um, I, that, I just had that thought and I wanted to connect it back to the Drake Gaben comments from earlier. So yeah, definitely what, some, hmm? go ahead. Oh, no, I, I just was saying to you, go ahead. Ah, uh, so the, the thing with the uh, Drake Haven and some of the other cards, the way that they're templated in Amonkhet is that it's whenever you cycle or discard a card. So it's, it's each instance of discard. So, um, it's not that you have, uh, discarded two cards or three cards. You get to activate it two or three times. Is that the deal? I believe so, that if it's each time you discard a card, so, uh, because it doesn't say whenever you discard one or more cards, um, and, you know, with Nahiri, I believe each of those is a is a distinct discard trigger um, or instance of discarding, so it should work. I'm sure if it doesn't, people will be happy to correct us, but as far as I know, that will work, uh, which makes cards like Nahiri pretty ridiculous. 
Yeah, I have to double check that ruling. Um, but I mean, if you can, for instance, cathartic reunion and get three drakes, uh, or is that discard two cards, draw three cathartic reunion? Uh, I think so. You, you, yeah, discard two, draw three. I mean, you still have to pay the mana for them. So then it's like a five mana spell, but then it's like uh, four mana for filter a bunch of cards and make some drakes, which, you know, as a four mana card, that's completely fine. Um so certainly some robust strategy there too. Yeah, if you're a judge, feel free to nail us in the comments uh, when I post them to MGG Price and inform us as to how Drake Haven works. I'm actually looking at the rulings right now on Gatherer, and I'm still not really clearing it up for me. <laughs> that might be because I'm busy uh, doing multiple things at once. I'm 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 reasonably confident on this one. I'm like eighty percent, but okay. Well, uh, you know, I think that's all the topics we wanted to hit tonight. So why don't we? Uh, why don't we wrap this up? Where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com, including the latest Digging for Dollars um, uh, speculation article that will be going up on Ahmed Ket tomorrow on MTG Price. Okay, and I'm Travis Allen. You can find me on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday for our MTG Price. I do the Cartel Aristocrats podcast uh, on most Mondays. And uh, I run Scry.Land. If you like playing Magic, check out Scry.Land. Find Magic in your area. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, episode 65. I had a great time with you here tonight, James, and uh, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.